Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. Hey, it's Dune here. I'm recording this quick message to let you know that over the next few weeks, we'll be playing some of our favorite episodes from the past year while I spend some time with my best friends and family back in my other home, London. If you missed these episodes the first time around, they are so good and packed with so much value. I know you're going to love them just as much as I did recording them. See you soon. Bye. This is Hannah Drury for Female Startup Club. Hello and welcome back to the show. It's Dune here, your host and hype girl in business. Every week we learn from seven, eight and nine figure female founders to understand their blueprint in business when it comes to money, marketing and mistakes. Women like Hannah Drury, the founder of Peppermint Grove Australia and Moss Street Fragrances. Hannah started this business in 2014 with an investment of $50,000 And now she's selling more than 100,000 products every single month. Today, we're digging into Hannah's story of building this brand over the last 10 years, what she did when her 100% retail model in business went to zero overnight when the pandemic hit, and how she diversified her business by becoming her own manufacturer and perfumer. And while I've got you here, you might have noticed lately that I've been talking more and more about our newsletter. And that's because we've been crafting it to be an absolute go-to resource that delivers you weekly insights, resources, and extra content to keep you in the loop on all things women in business, like industry news you should know about, quick lessons and strategies that you can use today, up-to-date grants, and special opportunities we're offering to our newsletter subscribers, aka more features and spotlights on you. It's free to sign up. You just need to go to femalestartupclub.com and I would love to see you there. Let's jump into today's episode. This is Hannah for Female Startup Club. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hannah, hi. Welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, me too. You're in Sydney, right? I am. I'm just in Sydney today. I'm not always in Sydney, but today is a Sydney day, so I'm excited. It's a Sydney day. Love a Sydney day. I usually start (laughs) by asking people if they've had any wins or oh shit moments that they'd like to share, but it's only 11 a.m., so I'm hoping you don't have any oh shit moments to share, but what's going on this morning? None that we'll go into. None that we'll go into. (laughs) This morning, I've been to the gym. I've had a coffee. I've had a whip with my marketing team, which has been great. I've checked into my office in Barrel because I'm usually there today and I'm not. So I'm sure they're missing my presence. Not. Um, (laughs) So yeah, gotten some stuff done. Hey, it's 11.13. I've I've been up for many hours. We've gotten a lot done, but um, just now just been preparing for our chat. Love that. Amazing. Cool. Well, we always like to get started by going back to where your entrepreneurial story starts. And this is circa like I'm thinking pre-2014 if you launched in 2014. So Mm -hmm. let's go back. Where do you like to start? Oh, look, let's start 10 years ago. Um, I always had a passion for fragrance uh, and homewares, home decor. Um, It's my thing. You know, some people really, really love fashion. I do love fashion as well. But, you know, the home has always been a really important part of my life. I think I got that from my mother who loved entertaining and having people around. And I was always buying uh, candles and diffusers. But I found that the actual candle and diffuser, yes, it was 
you know, really functional and smelt really good, but it wasn't actually aesthetically pleasing. You know, I found myself hiding them behind books, you know, because there was sort of like an overly branded Vegemite jar thing, you know, <laughs> with a big sticker on it. And it yep. didn't actually add to the decor of the home. So I wanted to create a brand that was both A, functional, you know, smelt good, and B, aesthetically pleasing. So the entire brand came about because I wanted to develop a vessel, a really beautiful vessel that held the fragrance. So how do you do that? Uh, well, I well, started first, sketching. <laughs> before we get into that point, because I want to, I want to yeah. dive into that. But before we get there, are you like working another job? Had you always known you were going to start a business, or had you kind of just like, what what was the life around you like at that point? Yeah, absolutely. So I was out of uni. Um, I'd done a three year commerce degree. But while I did full-time uni, I also did full-time work. I come from a family of workers. We're workaholics. I love working. You know, some people just getting off and going to work just makes me really happy. A lot of things make me really happy. I'm a pretty happy person. But, you know, uni was fine. But what really did it for me was working. I loved the fact that, you know, all my friends at 18, you know, they had to borrow money from mum and dad or they couldn't afford to buy whatever it was that they wanted. And, you know, I was fully independent from the age of 18. Um, I moved out of home because I was working full time on a salary. You know, you look back and I was earning no money and I was always dirt poor because you spend every cent you have at that age. Um, But it was a really great time. So I was actually working for a fragrance business at the time. And I ended up working uh, for them throughout my entire degree. And then when I finished, I went and worked for a marketing and communications agency. That was really interesting and quite a pivotal moment because it was interesting to be on agency side and working for a really wide range of clients. But I was often working with clients and I wasn't passionate about the product and it just didn't give me that same energy and that same burst that it did when I was working for this fragrance brand, which I was really interested in and I was really passionate about it. So as I was working for the marketing communications agency, I just thought, oh my God, you know, why don't I just start my own thing? Now you start off small, you know, this, all this planning and, you know, this was at least a 12 month process. And I was absolutely working full time in my marketing and communications job uh, at the time, a month before I was ready to launch. So this is, you know, a year and a bit into the process. I moved back home with my mum and dad, which was very interesting given that uh, I'd lived out of home since I was 18. And I decided to start the business from their house. Uh, I don't think they knew that was really going to happen. I thought they probably just thought I was just moving in with them. But, you know, a bit of stock came with me too. And, you know, (laughs) next minute I'd taken over. And are you thinking like, you had quit your job and moved back home to pursue it full time or you were still thinking side hustle start small? No, I You were uh, all in. Okay. When we get to it, you'll learn why I was all in from that moment. And it was because I already had pre-orders. So I had 20 clients before I even launched. So I thought, you know what, like I'm making the product, I'm being accounts, I'm being customer service, I'm being everything. I need to give this my all. And I was 24 at the time. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a partner. You know, it was, I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to give it my all. I've got nothing to lose. Um, You know, let's give it a crack. And I did. Oh my God. I love that. I love that energy so much. I have so many questions. (laughs) The first two parts that I just want to cover before we get to those 20 orders was 
so what was the product at this point? Like, have you already ordered from somewhere else or were you like hand making product? Like what was the kind of product piece? And, and then following that, how did you start getting the word out there to get those 20 clients? Okay. So the first one was actually developing the product. Um, so because I wanted to have a unique vessel, I needed to design the vessel and I worked with a manufacturer in China to design that vessel. That was easily the most expensive part of what I did. It was the innovative part where, you know, you obviously have to have money behind you. Now, you've got to remember I'd been working since, you know, I was 18 and then I was, so at that point I'd been working for six years, but really I'd been working since I was 14. And, you know, I'd been saving and, you know, doing what I could, especially when I decided I really wanted to give this my all. I stopped going out and buying clothes and doing all that sort of stuff. I saved every dime. So I actually went over to China and I went to one of the big trade fairs there and I found a supplier for firstly my glassware and secondly for my packaging. So I designed the vessel which obviously took a lot of time getting it right, making sure that it was safe for candle use, that it looked pretty, then obviously registering the designs, making sure that there was no IP issues and that when I did launch nobody else could copy it. Um, So that was probably the biggest part and of course I had to order the stock which you know takes 60 days to make then 30 days on a container what it used to be 30 days door to door China China to Sydney 30 days now (laughs) we wish yeah exactly and so that stock was uh obviously delivered and I set about making my first batch which was obviously very interesting now there was obviously trial and testing and in that 12 month period I didn't just wax and wax in a jar and you know see what happened there was a lot of testing that went into that but yeah it was all pretty backyard it was all being uh done out of my parents home what was that? I mean, I love to ask about the money piece. You you mentioned you had your savings and that's how you're funding the business. What did you put in to get that kind of first inventory, that trip to China, the R&D and getting you to launch with product? Yeah, it was about $50,000. Um, you know, and that's just the start of it. We'll go into uh, my favorite topic, which is cash flow a little bit later and how growing businesses absolutely eat money. <laughs> yes, we love the cash flow. <laughs> yeah, but it was $50,000 to launch. And at that time, like, had you thought about, you know, product based businesses, they require a lot of working capital, as we know. Were you thinking about the process of fundraising? Was that even something on your radar? Or were you just thinking like, I'm going to invest in my own business? Like what was your mindset around money in the bigger picture? Yeah, absolutely. Look, for me, I knew that if I sold my first lot of stock that I would at least break even. Uh, So I wasn't looking for investors or anything at that point of time. I mean, you start really small. Obviously, you hope that it gets bigger. But for me, it was just one step in front of the other. You know, I was if I got 20 orders, I was cheering at that time. So there wasn't really focus on, on that next level and that scaling and that growth. For me, it was just all about getting my, firstly, getting my product right. And then secondly, getting my customer base. So do you want me to talk about how I got my first customers? Yes, I absolutely want to talk about how you got your first customers. Let's go. Okay, let's do it. So I started off as a wholesale business. So I just sold my brand to retailers. I really only went online when COVID hit. So when I developed my brand, I was developing it for all of these beautiful retail and homeware stores. So what I did is I wanted to directly engage with my consumer throughout that new product development phase. So I went into these stores, stores that I knew 
would, you know, that I wanted my brand in. And I actually just spoke with them, showed them the drawing, showed them the fragrances, showed them the packaging design, and I got their feedback. I think in this day and age, people are so scared, and I speak with a lot of people who are, in, you know, in those development phases, and they're really scared to show their product unless it's perfect. But I think my biggest piece of advice is directly engage with the consumer. It's all very well to show mum and dad or to show your friends, but are they the ones who are actually reaching their hand into their pocket and going to give you money for this? Not necessarily. So I developed relationships with retailers and got their feedback throughout the whole process. And it was pretty brutal. I've got to be honest. I've looked at like what? Oh, just no, we wouldn't stock that. No, that's ugly. No, that's polarizing. No, my customer's not interested in that. No, that doesn't go with the decor of my shop. You know, and you've got to take each bit of feedback with a grain of salt because every single retailer, they're small businesses too. And, you know, they've got a different customer base. But listening to that overall feedback was amazing. I actually found the other day the first um, packaging designs. I didn't launch with it because, remember, I got that feedback throughout the development phase, which is the best time to get feedback because you haven't spent a bloody fortune on stock that then they go, oh, you know what, if you'd done that, it would have been better. And I actually ended up going with something completely different. I paired it back completely because of this feedback that I got. So I developed these relationships and, you know, you know, they got used to me coming into their store. It's probably a little bit annoying, but I've got no shame. So whatever, you know. <laughs> and I feel like even today that that's still relevant, like 100% relevant. That's still the blueprint. Yes, we're 10 years on, but like going into a store and just talking to the owner or talking to the buyer is like the step, listening to their feedback and then getting on the shelves. and you'd be shocked at the amount of people who do not do it. Oh, no, it's not ready. I don't want to show them. They love the fact that you're involving them. These are the people who have these beautiful retail stores. They are your eyes and ears directly engaging with the end consumer. These are amazing people who know what their customer wants. So I spoke with them and they sort of, you know, maybe they got a soft spot for me. I don't know. But after that 12-month journey of speaking with them and showing them and, you know, developing a relationship with them, business is all about relationships. They ended up taking the brand. So there would have been, you know, 15, 20 people that I was doing this with. And after all of it, you know, they want to take the brand. They felt like they had been part of the journey and I'd listened to their feedback. So before I was even ready to launch, I had pre-orders. This is wholesale pre-orders of these people that I worked with. So that's why, of course, I needed this stock. I was all in, you know, making product for 20. And these are wholesale orders. This isn't one candle. You know, this is 30, 40, 50, 100 products. So I was, you know, or units, I should say, not different products necessarily, because I only launched with a very small range. So that's why I was able to move back home and go, yeah, I probably need to quit my full-time job and, you know, throw everything into it. So that was step one. Step two was like, okay, cool. I've got 15 to 20 wholesalers. I need more. So I literally took the product I walked into other stores and I said, hey, my name's Hannah. Here's my brand. Do you want to have a look at it? And, you know, some people weren't that interested and that's fine, but I always left them with product. Burn it, touch it, feel it, experience it, take Mm, it home. Very important. And probably nine out of ten times they'd call me within a couple of days and say, you know what, this is a really nice product. And I'd say, yeah, cool. And the other thing I did was I did sale of return. So I said, look, if it doesn't sell, I will take the product back. You know, there's absolutely no risk on your behalf. 
I needed these people to be the influencers. I didn't have, I didn't really know a thing about social media. I think Instagram was coming a thing then, but I'm not very cool. So I didn't really do Instagram, but they were my modern day influencers who were actually using their beautiful stores to showcase my product. And then what happened was that other retailers, because let's be honest, everybody looks at what everyone else is doing, they would see it in their store and go, oh yeah, you know, Peppermint Grove, I'd love to stock you as well. So it was all about getting it in the eat stores of each state and, you know, slowly worked my way around and then the rest would follow suit. They'd give you a call. So that acted as my marketing tool. And guess what? That's free. It was completely free. That's free. You were pounding the pavement. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So it sounds like in the early years, just to kind of like re-summarize, in the early years, majority of your time is walking in, getting that relationship, leaving product, making sure there is no barrier for someone to like engage in a relationship with you and then getting the product in that store and just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and and repeat. How many stores did you get into based on that strategy? Oh, I would say easily well over 50, well over 50. So by the time, so I launched in early October, so October of 2014, I started working on the brand in 2013. And then the following February, so February of 2015, I did a trade show. So the Gift and Homewares trade shows, they're on in February, they're on in August. I went and I did a trade show. And again, like some people were like, oh God, that annoying girl who's been, you know, visiting me for the last <laughs> couple of months. But, you know, I was a friendly face. They'd come and say hello. Um, but, you know, my stand was busy because people, you know, the product was unique. You know, the it was a beautiful piece of home decor. It had a lid that was really functional that, you know, people could use as a coaster, whereas other brands weren't doing that yet. Um, so, you know, my hair stand was busy and I think people are attracted to, if something's busy or oh, what's going on there and then they come over. So from there, I got another 70 retailers. So literally, I had 110 retailers within six months of starting my business. Is it and just you within, at this point? Yes, it's literally just, just me. You. It's okay, literally yeah. just me. And then within nine months, I think I I do recall, you know, I had some friends in the industry and I'd gotten a page in Elle magazine or something. And Maya saw the advertisement uh, in uh, Elle magazine and they gave me a call and said, hey, we'd really love to chat with you. We're really looking for a new home fragrance brand. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. So I flew to Melbourne and it was just just me and my box of samples. Like there was no, <laughs> there, there was not a fancy presentation. Like it was literally just me and a cute little candle. And I walked in, there was about seven people in the room. I thought, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? But I just chatted. I chatted about my passion for the brand, why it was unique, what we were doing, da da da. And, um, you know, they rang me two days later and said, look, we'd, we'd really love to take a chance on you. And that was another huge turning point for the business. Yeah. Like how many stores are we talking at that point that it launched into? They put it into all, so they had 65 at the time and they launched it into all 65. So you can imagine though, they're working four to six months out, but I thought, oh my God, one, I need to make sure I have the stock. I need to have the infrastructure. Like I need Mm -hmm. to have the capital um, EDI. Yeah, exactly right. And that's when you start going, oh my God, like how the hell am I going to make this thing work? But also I needed people and also I needed a factory. So 
So I could no longer. <laughs> yes. Do you want me to go there? We want to go there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. We can't be working out of mum and dad's anymore. Not if I want to <laughs> remain their child that they really love. Um, but also, you know, when you start ordering that level of stock, you, like, you need your pallets and, you know, you can't be delivering that to suburbia. It's not going to work. So I needed to get a factory, just a small factory, a small space. I, I'm sure we all know what Sydney prices are like. Even if you go out, you know, to Western Sydney to factories, they are still so expensive. So I ventured out a little further to a beautiful place, um, uh, the Southern Highlands. We say Barrel, but the industrial area is called Braemar. And I found this little space in Braemar, 110 kilometres away, but I could afford it. What, like what's the price at that point? So it's literally, it was a third of the price per square metre um, as opposed to Sydney factories. Like I cannot remember the exact amount. I got like a short-term lease, you know, I was actually, half of it was being used for storage and then the other half I sort of had as this factory space. I literally got a demountable and put it in. That was my office. Maya thought I was joking when I told them like I'm literally working out of a demountable and sometimes sleeping What's out a of demountable? a demountable. They, What's that? A de- oh, it's like a temporary office thing. It's like, oh, you know okay. how if you're, you might be building something on a work site and you see they sort of dump the those cube-looking things. Yeah, so I was literally working on this. So this is 110 kilometres away, right? I have no bloody money. Like every single dollar, I'm not paying myself. Every single dollar, I probably, let's be honest, had to borrow some money from mum and dad. Like, you know, it it was quite desperado. But whatever, I had nothing to lose. And I was having a hell of a lot of fun along the way. You know, all of the wins of getting a store, you're jumping. Like it was just so fun. So I moved into there. Oh, my God. I knew absolutely no one. I It was 110 kilometres away. So that's like 220 kilometres of driving a day. But I just got a blow-up mattress and occasionally slept there. Definitely was not part of the arrangement. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was going early and leaving late. And occasionally I'd treat myself to a room at the pub or a hostel. Um and that was what it was like for the, like the first two years. It was absolute chaos. It was great. Sounds <laughs> so exciting. I love a startup story like that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, when Maya specifically placed the order, you know, a purchase order, I'm sure that requires a lot of upfront capital. Were you just kind of funding those orders through the profits made originally or did you need to find more money? Yeah, exactly right. So it was literally about putting all of the money that I was making from those previous orders, just using every single dollar went back into stock. I also needed to then find staff. Now, the other reason I decided to go rural was because there were government incentives um, for hiring staff in those areas because it was considered rural. So I went to these government agencies and they actually gave me staff then, you know, they uh, the government, oh, it was like a 60, 70% rebate. So they didn't actually cost me a lot of money. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was the other great thing about being rural as well. And from there, it started to grow. And as we get a bit later in the piece, I did have to get an investor in. It was just impossible. Like I could not scale like I needed to. Remembering as well, this is not an e-commerce business. This is a wholesale business. I'm not getting the cash up front for those orders. I'm getting it 30, 60, 90 days EOM. And with the life cycle of the product, you know, I'm buying the stock nine months prior that I'm not going to get paid for for nine to 12 months. So it just became impossible. And I did get an investor in and, you know, it's the best investment they've ever made or so I like (laughs) to tell them, but they tell me too. And, you know, and the rest is history, but I can tell you, I am still cash strapped all the time. Growing businesses eat money. I thought when I got to five mil revenue that things would say, I thought when I got to 10 mil, no, your problems get bigger, your bills get bigger, you know, that's just what happens. But I've been committed to putting every damn dollar back into that business. Obviously, I pay myself a wage and I pay my staff really well and we invest, but I don't, I've never taken a profit share ever. And I have, I have no plans to, I'd rather put it back into the business and reinvest. So for you, I want to get to the point of, you know, 2020, circa 2020. So in that time between the first two years in business, getting to 2020, there's a bit of a gap there. What are the key moments that lead you to that investment? Let's talk about the investment and then let's fast forward to 2020. Yeah. So with the investment, um, it just got to the stage where, uh, you know, Maya acted as a huge jump for, again, other retailers seeing the brand and, and I just couldn't afford to buy the stock. So I, it was actually through one of my retailers that I ended up meeting. They're very much a silent investor, 
but I met them. They were really interested in what the business was doing. They were shocked at what it was doing in, you know, 18 months, two years. And they decided to give me a lump sum of money for a portion of the business. And they've given me that money and they, you know, I send them obviously through all of the results or my CFO does every quarter and they they approve the budget. Um, but other than that, they've really been a silent partner and their investment is what's literally allowed me to go to that next level in terms of scaling the business. I, there's just no way I could have afforded to do it otherwise. Um, so, sorry, where, where was the, where was the next part? Are we going to, we can go wherever you want. We can go to COVID. We can kind of, you know, hit on the milestones that got you there, whatever you like to go forward with. Look, I think maybe we'll go to when I had to go online because a huge part of what I was doing was that I was a wholesale business. And when COVID hit, and by this stage I had, you know, 600, 700, 800 retailers, probably more, but also I'd started operations overseas. I'd set up a distribution centre in the UK. Um, I was operating in 14 countries using distributors, not necessarily distributing myself. The UK, I decided to do it a little differently. So when COVID shut the world down, my business literally shut down overnight. And we're talking department stores who had ordered stock six months out for Mother's Day. It was March that we shut down. Mother's Day was in May, my second biggest period of the year. I am in gifting, like that is my thing. Um, I essentially lost everything overnight and I was, I didn't lose it, I nearly did. I was walking around my factory and I was like, oh my God, like this is it, this is the moment. And um, I, it was then that I realized that ethanol is a huge part of what I do with the diffusers. And as well, I also had all of these beautiful vessels and I thought, my God, I'm just going to make hand hand sanitizer. Let's, Let's see. But of course I didn't have an outlet. So I built this dodgy WooCommerce site literally overnight. I am not IT savvy as you learned before the call when we had all these tech issues for something as basic (laughs) as a call. And um, I made hand sanitizer and I sold it on this website. Well, I did $70,000 in the first hour. The website crashed. I had, yep, I had no idea because nobody could get hand sanitizer. So did you put it up on social media or something or like you emailed your retailers? Yeah, no, retailers were shut. I couldn't use that. But as in like to let them know, like how did you get the word out? Yeah. So literally put it up on social media. So I literally posted on social media. All of my friends were like, my friends doing hand sanitizer, blah, 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 blah. Everyone needed sanitizer. Yes, as well. We told our retailers some were open, like things like, you know, pharmacies. So we have some pharmacies. They were open. A lot of the gift stores obviously weren't allowed to be open. And it literally sold out like in an hour. And at that moment I went, oh my God, like, I think I'm actually going to be able to keep the lights on here. So that was a huge moment, but also introduced me to the world of e-commerce where, oh my God, you put a product up, someone buys it and the money is in your bank account straight away. This is a whole new world. (laughs) So that was uh, an amazing moment. And a, you know, it was only within, you know, two to three months that suddenly the home fragrance, home decor market went absolutely gangbusters because everyone was suddenly at home. They weren't spending money on travel and Mm. fancy restaurants. They were like, you know what? My house is a sanctuary yep. and I need Invest to Invest in calm. self-care. And yeah, exactly. And that was amazing. So we managed to build a proper 
website, uh, not myself, Shopify expert. And we entered the world of e-commerce and it's been a very steep learning curve. I've learned it's a little bit like building a house. There's just constantly bits and pieces and things that needed to be added. And, you know, and I've now got a whole e-commerce team and a digital agency and, you know, all of these amazing things. Um, but it was a big moment for the business. You know, e-commerce is now still only five to 10% of the business um, because it's only, you know, we're two, three years in of, and we're, you know, suddenly we're directly engaging with the end consumer, you know, so even social media, we didn't really have a big social media following because we weren't really marketing towards the end consumer. We were more focused on our retailers. Um, So that's been a steep learning curve as well. But together, the two are absolutely dynamite. So the manufacturing, the wholesaling, and then obviously the e-commerce as well. It's it's, uh, been really cool and made the business jump through the roof. It's been great. Yeah, I read something crazy. You're on track to like 40 million this year or something bananas. Yeah, absolutely. So I've now got a couple of different brands. I now manufacture for a lot of brands out there because a lot of people don't actually have their own manufacturing facility. And when you invest all of this money in infrastructure and, uh, you know, I've now got probably over 15,000 square metres of factories, you know, across Australia. So, you know, you need to keep those machines pumping. You've got all the staff. So when there's downtime, why wouldn't I manufacture for other people? So, you know, people are shocked I make a lot of my competitors' products, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. You white label for the competitor. (laughs) A hundred percent. It makes sense. What percentage of the business is that? Oh, the white label. So I'll just go into the third part. The third part is that I vertically integrated into producing my biggest raw material, which is the actual fragrance. So I now have a huge perfumery, which is basically a compounding lab. It's a dream come true. Oh my God, that sounds so um, cool. Yeah. And I'm basically vertically integrating into producing as much of I can as I can of that supply chain. Um, so uh, look, the brands are still by far, uh, you know, the biggest part of what I do. Contract manufacturing would be the smallest. And then this perfumery, which provides both my brands with its fragrance, the ones I white label for, and then also just the industry. You look at cleaning products, there is fragrances in everything. Like I'm now providing huge cleaning companies, you know, home fragrance companies. There are so many beautiful, amazing fragrance perfume brands that are launching onto the market. They're not actually making their fragrance. Of course not. They're using a a supplier. So I've now sort of you know, got these three businesses that all integrate really beautifully with each other. And, you know, it's a really cool spot to be in because no one else in Australia in my industry is doing that. How did you think to do that? Like, how did you kind of have that light bulb moment? Because I feel like that's so, such a clever diversifying change slash, not really a pivot, but, you know, adding on. How did you actually hit that light bulb moment? It was during COVID and I hate to bring up COVID because everyone's sick of hearing it, aren't they? But uh, <laughs> there were huge issues with supply during that time. Mm. So I hated that my growth was being restricted because my suppliers couldn't supply what I needed. And I was like, this is really annoying. And as you've probably gathered, I'm quite fast and I do things, you know, if I've got an idea, thank God I've got an amazing team who now go, okay, hand pipe down, like that's a beautiful <laughs> dream, but let's revisit that in nine months because I want to make everything 
everything happened yesterday. Um, but it really frustrated me. And I went, hang on, like, th- this is a risk to my business. Like, you know, and the biggest thing was the fragrance because obviously they had staffing issues. The whole industry went gangbusters. So, and, you know, they couldn't get their raw materials because shipping, you know, was 90, 120 days, blah, blah, blah. And I went, this is a huge risk. But I also had a look and went, hmm, I'm also spending millions of dollars on fragrance a year. What if I could actually make the fragrance myself? And then it just so happened that a perfumer was out of a job and gave me a call and it kind of snowballed. The biggest issue is that setting up a perfumery, oh my God, you need to have the capital. But because with COVID, I'd ended up doing really, really well financially. I had the money to do it. I also as well uh, ended up getting a loan facility. So I used debtor financing for my brand, um, but I then also uh, was able to, because of the way the business had grown, had access to a facility that I could draw down on. So they gave me a lump sum that I could draw down as and when I needed it. I needed the whole thing straight away. And that is what allowed me to do it. Wow, that's so interesting. What a cool story. It is cool. It is cool. I'm wondering like, actually, I've got two questions. So we'll stick on the kind of e-commerce pathway just for a second longer. What is shifting the needle for you now when you think about e-commerce as a channel? Look, I think for us, uh, e-commerce, and I'm going to be the first one to say that I'm not an expert in e-commerce. I'm lucky enough to have an amazing team who do run the e-commerce side of things for me. I think our biggest thing is that obviously the industry is really, really saturated, like the candle, the fragrance industry. It's now, you know, it's really boomed in the last three or four years. So it's becoming really saturated and, you know, it's becoming a lot more expensive to play in that space and be competitive in the online world. So that's probably been a huge thing for us. Um, And the other issue, I guess, with online for us is that, um, you know, if people don't know the brand, they need to smell and experience, you know, the product. I'm really waiting for like all of those, you know, techie smart guys to come up with scratch and sniff for online. You know, I'm just waiting. Surely it's going to be coming for us soon. But what it's allowed my business to do is just it's allowed me to release a whole lot of cash. You know, I suddenly have cash for products, which then, you know, has just really uh, increased my cash flow because I'm getting money overnight as opposed to in 30, 60, 90 days. So despite it becoming more expensive and being a really saturated space to play in, it's also, though, self-funding in that I'm getting that money straight away. Mm. And I guess for you, it's very much a case of you have the retail presence, you have people who have bought your product for years and years and years, and then they find you on e-commerce and they come back around. So it's really two things that work in harmony with each other. 100% of that. Correct. Yeah. When you think about your journey, you've been building this business for a decade now. Do you think about an exit or are you thinking long-term still loving the business? Like, How are you kind of thinking about I guess where I'm going with this is like, it's a long time to be in this business. And I know you have three now. So of course, it still adds a bit more like fun and diversity to what you're doing every day by building multiple things at once. But yeah, what do you think about your long-term plan and the long-term vision? Yeah. Do you know what? That's a really interesting question. And it's an interesting question because I constantly move the goalposts. You know, people ask me this question and depending when you ask me, um, 
you know, I could have a different answer because I think when you are geared as I am and, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're constantly moving those goalposts and you hit the you hit those goals and you think, okay, great, now I'm sort of going to slow down a bit or now I'm going to do this or that. And then you go, oh, no, I should start a new business because I basically got a startup business again with this perfumery. So, so for me, it's just continuing to grow and scale, invest in the business, invest in my staff. I'm so passionate about my team. Um, they are amazing. The business is absolutely nothing without the amazing people that make it go around every day. Um, am I open to an exit? Absolutely. Who is it? I think you'd be crazy not to be. I'm not married to the business. I've, I've got 150 other things that I want to do. So I'm not scared of that. And I'm not scared of someone wanting to buy me out. Hey, give me a call, you know, drop my hand. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always really open to it. But for now, I'm focused on one foot in front of the other. And I think I've been given a whole new lease because I love that startup phase. It's such a wild time. Now that I've got the mature business, which is Peppermint Grove and Moss Street and the brand, and then I'm back in startup world with the perfumery, it's kind of given me that new lease that I needed because it's total mayhem uh and I, I i operate really well in in organized chaos is what i call it so <laughs> that's where we are for now amazing i love that i love that for anyone who is in the fragrance kind of industry whether it's perfume or candles or or diffusers and products like that what is your key piece of advice for folks just starting out in the early phase i think my first piece of advice is be really, really sure about who your customer is. Who is it that is going to buy your brand or buy their, you know, buy your product? It is a really, really saturated market now. So what is going to be your point of difference? What is going to make someone put their hand in their pocket and give you money for something? So that would be my first thing. Don't do what everyone else is doing. You know, it's been done. It's, you know, we're not 10, 15 years ago when the industry was still quite new. It's quite a mature industry now. So you need to have uh, that point of difference. So that would probably be my advice. Engage directly with your customer and get that feedback and be really clear on who your customer is. Love that. Love it. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. 
If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. 